Hello, hi, welcome to right where you are, yes, right where you are right now, right over there, you are welcome over there, you're also welcome to right where you are, the podcast, if you didn't know, I feel like you know, but maybe you don't know, and I don't want to be rude, and so I should introduce myself, my name is Kangisa, I've also been going by the alias Learner Human, that's I think the coolest ooh, the coolest alias I've had in a while. Dope stuff because I actually am a learner human. I am very much interested in figuring out what this thing that we are currently experiencing is. I am so curious. I am so fascinated by the experience, the phenomenon that is the human. I have a friend who a lot of the time will have conversation and the conversation will go on and on and for some reason somehow it will always get to the point where we just look at each other and we ask man what is a human (laughs) what is a human who are we what are we you know why are we why do we do the things we do why do we think the way we do why do we see the world in the way that we do why do we behave in the way that we do and i think if you look at it enough there's so much that you realize you can never understand and you can just look at it with childlike curiosity and awe and it's just like poof, mind blown wow <laughs> i really enjoy being human sometimes i feel like i'm not enjoying being human and then i remember that that sensation of oh no i'm not enjoying this is part of being human that is it's so cool (laughs) it's so cool i really enjoy exploring humanity at looking at human culture and You know, I mean, I study human culture. It is part of the degree I'm currently doing. It's part of my academic work. I am so interested in looking at how we as humans have evolved over millions of years as a species. But more than anything, how we got to the current culture that we live in. How did we get to this point? How did things change and change and change until we got to this point right where we are right i think more than anything i'm so fascinated by prehistoric humans that's like one of my biggest uh my big my biggest interests we call them prehistoric simply because they existed in a time that is not in our understanding our scope and our study of history as much as in times when humans were writing and saying hey and leaving very solid very understandable artifacts i think i'm really also interested in our evolution since the industrial revolution 
I'm so interested in that because it's really been a wild ride ever since you know it's been crazy ever since then and it's kind of what I want to talk about today I think in all of human history the human has always somewhat had some advantages some disadvantages because we are human but currently I'm noticing that a thing that's happening is that we're advancing so much we are evolving so much and the world around us and the things that we are inventing are changing so rapidly and we are living in a time where we get to watch that change and that is crazy and I'm seeing I mean we're all seeing that the more we advance the less intimate we are with the world around us the more advanced we get the less intimacy we have with the self with the body with one another with the land even with the simple experience of being human we're more disconnected from like space and time right i think for example advancements in technology like cars and airplanes because one thing that makes us human just like many other creatures that are mobile is the ability to move around for a very long time humans were nomadic so we've always been mobile but now we're living in a time where we are hyper mobile and we're able to go across oceans very easily very quickly and i think that creates some sort of a distortion in our understanding of space and time it creates this weird thing that if we trace back ancestrally it's kind of a very new thing i don't think it's been around for that long especially in comparison with the fact that humans as a species has been around for like 2 million years right i think another example here is digital media how i can be where i am and i can have access to another place somewhere outside of me like right now i'm where i am i'm right where i am i'm sitting at a desk at the library it is half past 8 at night it's dark outside so there's no one in here and i get to speak loudly yay <laughs> but at the same time at the point at the time when you listen to this it is still me and my meanness that exists with you right where you are as you listen to this and that is so trippy to me things like tiktok and instagram the trippiest because how am i sitting where i'm sitting but with every scroll i am shifting to a new context trippy what okay anyway <laughs> i think uh the point of this really is the fact that there's so much advancement in our reality and how we move through reality it feels like there's so much going on in the world it feels like i mean if you watch the news especially if you watch the news constantly you could constantly feel like the world is ending and that the world is burning i think because 
of globalization and digitization, we have access to the entire world at our fingertips. And that is overwhelming. And just generally, human population has grown so much in the last centuries. And there's so much more going on in the world more than ever before. It's overwhelming. It's crazy, right? I think... Uh, if you live maybe in a metropolitan area, which most of us do, if you live in a metropolitan area, there are also just so many people and so many things happening. But everywhere in the world, there's just so much that is happening. And because there's so much and it's so overwhelming, it's easy to not want to feel all of that because I think there are limits to what the human can take in. There are limits to what the senses can receive. So then the mechanism to protect us against the so much that is happening is kind of to mute it out, to numb it out, to not feel it, right? And I made the example of living in the metropolitan area because generally the metropolitan area is what we call overcrowded. And I have a friend, in fact, the same friend who I spoke of earlier, who asked the question of what is a human. This friend comes from Swaziland, a country, a nation, uh, what's it called? Uh, A monarchy? I have no idea. Kingdom. The word I was looking for there is kingdom. Swaziland is a kingdom with a whole lot less people than South Africa. So we met here in South Africa, in Pretoria, in a metropolitan area. And he said to me, hey man, I get so overwhelmed by how many people there are here. And I said, look, I grew up in the urban area. I have known this crazy, bustling, metropolitan area my whole life. I've been overwhelmed, right? And so this friend then says, don't you think that when there's so many people around you, that there are limitations to our ability to connect with other human beings, that there are limitations to our empathy. And so because there's so many people, it's easy to be apathetic, to be dissociated and disconnected. In the same way that I said there's so much going on, it's easy to mute it out. And he said, don't you think that because there's so many people, it's so easy to not see someone as a human, to not see the fullness of their humanity because that's difficult then for you. There's too much of that that you'd have to be doing and it would overwhelm you so much. It's kind of like being at a really loud party where there's so many people and the music is so loud and it's dark but there's like flashes of different color lights and maybe you're intoxicated and because there's so much happening and there's so much for your senses to be taking in you kind of lose a sense of you of yourself because you kind of need to step out of yourself and 
order to be in this mix of so many people in order to continue moving around in this mix of so many people there was a german sociologist named george simmel who wrote a book called the metropolis in this book there is a chapter called the metropolis and mental life where he says that we currently live in what he calls the time money economy where we are so much more calculating because everything now is so quantifiable time is quantifiable money is quantifiable humans are quantifiable because they're no longer just humans they're customers they're citizens humans are quantifiable land space time everything travel distance money everything can have a number put on it. And so because we're so much more calculating and we see things in this way, we've done a thing where we've tapped into the logical mind so much so that we've lost sense of the emotional body. George Simmel says that because of this ability to quantify everything in the time-money economy, there's a lot less consideration for the human. I think of how when you go buy a loaf of bread from the shop, you never at any point in your life have to come into contact with the person who baked that bread, if it was even a person, with maybe the manager of the factory where that bread is made. You never have to come into contact with that person, even the person I do come into contact with. Then over here, what happened was that we had an interruption of sorts because I was in the library in the late hours and so an announcement went off to say, This is a friendly reminder that the library will be closing in 30 minutes. Thank you. And yes, I am in the library in the late hours so often that I know exactly what the announcement is going to be, word for word. Don't judge me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. Ah, I even forgot where I was. Ah, George Simmel. Ah, yes. Even the person who I actually do come into contact with, that is the teller at the shop where I'm buying the bread. Even that person, in a very big way, this person and I never have to connect with one another. We never have to be in intimacy with one another. We never have to know one another's names because I am just another customer and they are just another means to an end for me to get what I'm there for. And so there's a whole lot more disconnection and George Simmel contrasts this, uh, this behavior and this experience in the metropolitan area to rural living or pastoral living and he says that there's so much more disconnect between people but generally between everything between humans and the world around them between humans and even the food that they're eating and the water that they're drinking there's so much more of a disconnect now the crazy thing about george simmel is that he lived between 1858 and 1918 this book 
The Metropolis, was published in 1902. That's crazy, <laughs> because if he was talking about this then, and things have only further advanced now, there's a whole lot more disconnect. There's a whole lot more dissociation. There's a whole lot more disembodiment because things just keep getting more and more and more. There's more urbanization. There's more globalization. There's more digitization. And so we are more individualistic. We are more disconnected. We are more disembodied. We are more dissociated. Now, here's the thing. I'm having this conversation with you, not because I'm here to be all doom and gloom, no. I'm not trying to leave you hopeless and afraid at the end of this episode. What I want to do here is to ask an important question, because more than anything, my concern is that intimacy, that ability for we humans to be intimate with the world around us. My concern is humanity, it's personhood, it's community, it's Ubuntu. My concern is love. And so the question I want to ask you is, even though there's so much going on, even though the earth is spinning and the humans are dizzy, how can we still learn to love? How can we be intimate with the world, with reality? How can we allow ourselves to be human, to be honest about where our reality is, to be honest about our experience of our reality? How can we open ourselves up to be bigger containers, bigger straws, so that this reality that feels so overwhelming, that feels like so much, so that it can flow through us? Because I think the only way, a whole lot of the time, we want to talk about change in our reality and within our society. But I think that the only way that change can occur is through acceptance. It's through honesty. It's through seeing and being conscious of the fact that this is our reality. Of not numbing it out. Of not muting it out. I believe that the only way that change occurs is through radical acceptance and unconditional love. So how can we open ourselves up to take in this reality? I think when things are unconscious, they cannot be changed. Like that famous quote by Carl Jung where he says, Until you make the unconscious conscious, it will rule your life and you will call it fate. And so how do we become more conscious of ourselves, our lives, our bodies, our community, our personhood, our Ubuntu? How do we become more conscious of the fact that right now this is our reality? How can we even like learn to accept and to love our disconnection? How can we learn to love our lack of love how do we learn to love our inability to love does that make sense how can we bring more consciousness into our experience how can we bring more love into our experience i think i want to leave this episode with these questions because in the last two episodes i spoke of loving and surrendering in a very abstract way 
And I think this is the thing that I want to explore more as the season unfolds. And I'm just setting the foundation here because I feel that this is the thing that we need. Or maybe, okay, well, it's not my place to say what we need. Rather, let me say that this is the thing that calls me. This is the thing I long for. This is the thing that burns in my heart, that burns in my throat asking to be spoken. This thing of surrendering of awakening, of loving. How can we do the work of surrender? How can we do the work of awakening? How can we do the work of love? And more than anything, how can we do that work in this day and age, in our time? How can we open ourselves up when it feels like there's so much, so much so that it's easy to numb? How can we love? I'm thinking about a scene from the movie Riding in Cars. What is it? Riding in Cars with Boys, where the one character, Faye, Brittany Murphy's character, says to Drew Barrymore's character. I think that sometimes we love people so much that we have to be numb to it. Because if we actually felt how much we really love them, it would Uh, the bleeped out word there, I don't know if it's wrong to unbleep the word, but the bleeped out word was kill. She said, if we allow ourselves to love that person, to feel the love that we have for a person, it would kill us. And I mean, I have, I know I felt before uh, that allowing myself to be present and to take in this reality as it is and to be intimate with reality and to love other people would kill me, like physically kill me. I remember feeling that way once. And now I'm seeing that it does kill me, actually. But over and over again, it's killing my self-concept. It's killing who I think I am. That means that I must then shun someone else and shun everything that is outside of who I think I am. And I must love and accept people. I must uh, take in reality on reality's terms. And that kills the idea of myself that I have in my head. And so really the question is, how can we learn to no longer numb the thing so that it is conscious and it is not ruling our lives? So that we're not unconsciously creating this as a reality. I'm thinking also of a story that Ram Das tells of a woman. In fact, let me share the clip with you. I've told this story so many times, it's so vivid. I was teaching the same kind of course I taught in Oakland in New York. This is a course where everybody in the class goes out and does volunteer work, and then we have an open mic, and we all get involved. We learn how to express the compassion in our hearts. And this woman in New York said, I live in an apartment, and every day I go to work, and I go by the corner of the street, and for the past eight months, this has been this man standing there with a paper cup with some coins in it jiggling. She said he's a homeless man. And she said, now and then I give him some money. Then there was a silence, and she looked a little embarrassed, and she said, actually, he's been there so long, I worked out a budget. 
He said, I give him 250 a week. I mean, he's the local homeless man, and you just, sort of, and she just, I do it in a random way, though. <laughs> she said, but as a result of taking this course, I realized that though I saw him all the time, that I had never acknowledged his existence as a fellow human being. She said, I asked myself, why was that? And she realized she was afraid. She thought, what am I afraid of? Not afraid he's going to rape me. Not afraid he's going to steal my pocketbook. And she sat with it and she said, I realized that I was afraid that if I acknowledged him as a fellow human being, he'd end up living in my living room. How would I set the boundaries? That was the issue. How would you set the boundaries? Because the nature of the human heart is that it doesn't know boundaries. That's the nature of love. When you're in love with somebody, you want to take it. You want my money? You want What do you want? My time? What? You want breakfast in bed? Of course. You want my life? Go ahead. The mind, on the other hand, the analytic mind, which is the instrument of power of your separateness, is saying, hey, now, wait a minute. Cool it. I have health insurance to pay. You can't give away everything. I mean, great, this lilies of the field business, but don't include me. And in an interesting way, it's a tension within one between one's mind, which is protecting your separateness, and your heart, which is constantly going out and merging into all of it. And it's far out that in our culture, we end up experiencing our hearts as our enemy because the amount of suffering means that if we keep our heart open, we're going to lose. We're going to have to surrender into it, and we will lose everything we think we are. How painful to live a life in which one's afraid of one's own heart. Now, you and I both understand that the issue is the issue of boundaries, of understanding what your unique way is in the world. And so this is the thing that I want to explore, this act of opening ourselves up to God, to love, to reality, this work of loving, of surrendering, of awakening. This is the thing that we will explore as the season unfolds. Because this is the thing that I deeply care about. This is the thing that I've been coming to, the point that I've been getting at in the last few episodes. This is the thing. This is the crux of this season of Right Where You Are. And I want to explore that with you. And sometimes I won't explicitly say that that is what we're aiming for, but really that is at the center of everything for me at the moment. You know, we might talk about, I talk a whole lot about creativity. We might talk about community. We might talk about love, about forgiveness. We might talk about the body and embodiment and maybe breath work or whatever. We might talk about these things, but I'm just sharing this today because this is at the center of everything, this work of surrendering, of awakening, this work of love. So I hope that finally after five episodes sets the foundation for the season of Right Where You Are.
I hope it gives you a clear picture of what I've been doing thus far and where we will go as the season goes on. I deeply appreciate your being here with me. I'm grateful to have you right where you are with me, right where I am. Thank you for tuning in. I'll be back very soon, in a week, next week, Wednesday. By the way, yes, I finally found my flow with this podcasting thing. And so I will finally be more consistent. Episodes will be dropping on Wednesdays from now on for the next couple of weeks. Hopefully, hopefully. But yes, Wednesdays. Today is a Wednesday. Unless you're not listening to this on the Wednesday that it is being put out. But we will talk again soon. Thank you very much for tuning in. And I just want to let you know that I love you. (laughs) Signing out.